today on Ag News Daily. The technology is literally a field shank that would be attached to your fertilizer applicator. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily podcast, joined today by Hannah Pagel. Hannah, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Mike. It's a beautiful day up in Northeast Iowa, so I can't complain. Perfect. That is a wonderful place to be up in the rolling hills of Northeast Iowa. Gosh, some of us are down here in the the flatlands of East (laughs) Central Iowa, but I tell you what, it still beats, uh, I guess, being in an office for sure. Yeah, that that sure, sure would beat it. But hey, if you ever feel like traveling up here, you know, Northeast Iowa folk, we're quite... We're quite welcoming, so. Absolutely, absolutely. A lot of good dairy folk up there, beautiful country, and um, yeah, yeah, it's fun. Well, that, that's, I, I wish I had more news today, Hannah, but I, I'll be honest with you, I haven't been paying that close attention to the news today because I had a little bit of a hiccup here on the farm. Ooh, what happened? Well, yesterday. It must have been yesterday morning. I was moving some bales, and so I was out on the road in the tractor. And, of course, when I'm on the road in the tractor, I put my flashers on. You know, I get my flashing lights going, want to be legal, want people to see me. Then I park the tractor in my garage or in my machine shed, and you know what I didn't do, Hannah? Shut the lights off? I did not shut the lights off. So today, when I went to fire up the tractor, you know what happened? (laughs) The battery was dead. The battery was completely dead, and the machine (laughs) shed the tractor is parked in is the farthest one on my property from electricity. So I am trying to round up every single extension cord I have, and it looks like I need them to stretch about 700 feet so I can plug in the battery charger and get the tractor going. So that's that's what that's what I'm looking forward to today. I feel like that's more of a safety hazard finding 700 feet of extension cords. <laughs> I know, and ordinarily I'd just pull the truck up beside it and use the truck to jump it, but it's in the machine shed in such a way that I can't get the truck close enough for the jumper cables to reach. What about a and generator? Then I thought, oh, I don't have a generator. Don't you have Hannah, a neighbor? Uh, yes. I wonder if they do. Yeah, maybe just call up a neighbor, you know? Good idea. I'm sure one of my neighbors has a generator. Hmm. Huh. Well, if I'm not on tomorrow's podcast, you'll know it was because I was electrocuted <laughs> stringing out uh, 700 feet of jumper cable or well, of a, a extension cord. Well, don't be doing that because then that means I have to ride solo for the podcast. And you can't put that pressure on me, Mike. You can do it, Hannah. I know you pay close attention to the news. What's jumping out at you today in the world of ag news? So we've been talking a lot about President Donald Trump and a lot on tariffs. And, you know, one of my stories is Trump is tweeting out about China that they are being that they have implemented in vicious tactics against U.S. farmers. So President Donald Trump uh, tweeted last night. And I have a quote here. China is targeting our farmers who they know, who I love and respect. And as a way of getting me to continue allowing them to take advantage of the U.S., they are being vicious in what they will be, which will be their failed attempt. We are we are being nice until now. And so that was kind of just a little bit of Trump tweets there. 
But it looks like the Chinese president said at an international summit in South Africa that the world faces, quote-unquote, a choice between cooperation and confrontation. So this is kind of, I don't know, it's just, you know, it's continuing to go back and forth, but that's just a little update on the world of Trump, tariffs, and China. Yeah, yeah, gosh, I'll, I'll be so happy, Hannah, when we can get all of this trade stuff out of the headlines. We don't have to talk about it anymore because I'm just bleh, tired of it. I I know, I am too, but uh, I do have one more for you on tariffs, if you'll let me just talk about it Let's real quick. Let's do it. It's news. It drives our markets. What do you got? Okay, so after Trump, the Trump administration unveiled the $12 billion in aid for farmers, uh, John Deere saw a really big boost in their market. So shares jumped for um, approximately 4.8% after Trump announced that the government was going to compensate farmers who had some losses due to these tariffs. So that's, that's some good news in the world of manufacturing and equipment and and, you know, it's interesting the way the stock market assumed that because farmers are going to make more money, they're immediately going to spend it on equipment. Mm -hmm. um, and it will be interesting this year with some of the changes to the tax code if that is going to be as true. Usually, you know, growers are out there spending that money in December to uh, get their tax burden down. I wonder if that's going to be the same this year. It's definitely a lot of changes over the past year that have affected uh, the ag industry. Mm -hmm. But I think the fact the stock market assumed that ties in pretty well with this piece of news that I have coming out of the Agricultural Economic Insights newsletter. And this is the working capital on U.S. farms, which is basically we can think about it about cash in the savings account. Its technical definition is um, current assets minus current liabilities, but just think about it as how much money do we have sitting safely where we can access it if we needed a rainy day fund. And so the amount of working capital on U.S. farms is the lowest level in 10 years. As of right now, it is sitting at about 13%, and it is starting to make lenders get a little bit nervous. We talked yesterday about the uptick in ag lending. This is that follow-along right with it. As working capital comes down, growers are forced to turn to lenders to uh, get the financing they need for either equipment, like more John Deere stuff or for, uh, you know, living expenses, you know, something to, to tide them through in times of need. So, you know, maybe this $12 billion will be good for the ag industry as we get through this year with down commodity prices, Hannah. Well, let's hope. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed. That's for sure. Mm hmm. Well, I'm going to kind of turn the tables a little bit on my next news piece. So I'm going to talk a little bit GMOs. Uh, so Europe has the highest court in Europe said today that crops that are created by mutagenesis or gene editing should fall underneath laws restricting the use of genetically modified organisms. So it's kind of not good news in terms of agriculture, but if you're one of the on one of the environmentally sound bandwagon, I guess that it's a plus in their book. But um it looks like the Court of Justice of the European Union, Union said it takes the view that organisms obtained by mutagenesis are considered GMOs and will be regulated underneath the GMO directives 
And their reasoning is because the techniques and methods of mutagenesis alter the genetic material of an organism in a way that does not occur naturally. But Hmm. then they were talking about CRISPR-Cas9, and they have decided to not put that underneath the GMO ruling just because it... So there's a lot of science in this, so I'm going to try and, like, break it down um, a little bit more simply. But essentially... CRISPR-Cas9 uses recombinant um, nucleic acid, so recombinant DNA, and so since it uses that, it's not inserting in new genetic makeup or materials or anything, so it's not considered a GMO, but I don't know. It's just the world of biosciences, there's just there's a lot of definitions and a lot of methods that you can go about in plant breeding, and so I don't know. I feel like it's takes a lot of like reading up on and whatnot to understand what you would consider a GMO and what you would consider just genetic engineering. Yeah. And I was uh, listening to a conversation about this very topic either yesterday or earlier today, and they, they're trying to break it down in ways for non-scientists like myself to understand it. And they basically said the distinction was if normal plant breeding could get us there, then it's not genetic engineering or GMO, which is CRISPR, because you could do all of the things CRISPR does by, you know, tinkering with plants over a long enough time frame. CRISPR just does it. Boom. Today. But mutagenesis and transgenic varieties could not happen in nature. So that's why they got the GMO, you know, stamp, which I thought uh, that's an interesting way to look at it. And that helped kind of make the the division in my head a little more clear. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that, but my my only thing that I don't agree with this article is it was talking about it's a win for the environmental groups, and it's like, if you want to be more sustainable, you need to look at this technology because you're able to grow more food on less land with less input, so I, that's my only beef with it, but I don't want to get on a soapbox here. So <laughs> we like having soapboxes every now and again, Hannah. It's worthwhile. <laughs> and, you know, I think your point right there says something telling about the anti-science movement that exists in the some environmental groups out there. You know, the win here is they get to say more stuff is GMOs, so they get to fundraise more. That's the win. But it's not like you mentioned, not really a win for the environment. So there's there's kind of a a backwardsness to maybe the way some of these groups are looking at uh, genetic engineering. I guess. But, uh, yeah, so that's uh, (sighs) the world of bioscience. But uh, do you have any other news getting us back into the forward movement of agriculture news, Mike? I do. And this one is just, it's interesting. It's probably not going to have a huge impact on a lot of our listeners because it is sugar related. And it's not even related to American sugar necessarily. This is the country of Qatar, which I've always mispronounced as Qatar, a Middle Eastern country that about a year ago, a lot of its Arab neighbors uh, turned on it. And they said, you know, we don't want to do business with Qatar. They didn't like the leadership. There was, you know, all sorts of accusations. And they kind of quit trading with Qatar. So Qatar has said, all right, 
we are going to become more independent and they are going to build a huge sugar refinery, one of the first ones really in the Middle East. It's going to produce about 110,000 tons of sugar a year, which will more than supply the Qatar population and still give them about 30,000 tons of refined product to export. And it doesn't say where they plan on buying the sugar from. But they're looking at depressed prices around the globe for sugar, and they think this is a good time to get in there and basically create their own demand by building their own sugar refinery, which I just thought was interesting. That is interesting. Did they say, is it going to be like pure sugar cane or sugar beets or what type of sugar are they going to be processing? Both? See, and that's what they didn't say. I've got to, I, I would just imagine it's going to be cane sugar um, because they do have an agreement with Brazil. Uh, so it, that would be my guess is they're probably looking at cane. But anytime we can reduce the overall glut of sugar that we're in right now, uh, hopefully it would lend support to that market here in this country. Hmm, definitely. We'll have to keep our eyes or I always say eyes open, but like ears open. We're going to be listening yeah, for something. Yeah, well, keep them both open. And also if you can feel, you know, keep your fingers open to just, changes. Just use all of your senses. Yes. Yes. Turn your heart light on. <laughs> okay. Well, the last piece that I have for you today, Mike, is more of just like a little bit of a reminder. So there's only one more week left to finish filling out the Census of Agriculture data. So the National Ag Statistics Service is ending all of its data collection for the 2017 Census of Agriculture on July 31st. So Anyone who has received the census questionnaire is required by law to respond by that date. So make sure you get it in and get it filled out. What, what was the date? July 31st. Okay. I think I have a census form that I need to fill out. Then you better do it. This is the ag census? Yes. Yeah, I think it's sitting on my table. All right. Well, let's get to the markets and then I will go fill out my ag census. How's that sound? That sounds wonderful. Well, folks, let's take a look at the markets, and they are on fire today. If you want to learn to manage your risk or perhaps take advantage of some opportunities that were created today, give our market sponsors a call, and that's the Zaner Group. You can give them a shout at 312-277-0050 or visit their website at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. We've got green all the way down the screen in the grains today, starting with the corn market. September contract up seven and a quarter cents. At 359 and a quarter. December also up seven and a quarter to close at 373 and a quarter. In soybeans, the August was up two and three quarters at 860 and three quarters. November new crop up two and a half cents to finish at 875 and three quarters. The big winner today was the wheat market. Drought in Europe continued to encourage buyers in Chicago wheat. The September contract up 32 and a half cents came really close to touching limit up midday. Didn't quite get there. September closed at 5.42 and three quarters. The December contract up 32 and a half cents as well to finish at 5.61 and three quarters. Looking over on the livestock side, strength in the grains did not put a damper on the cattle contracts. In live cattle, we've got the August contract up 97 and a half cents at 109.02.50. The October up 45 at 110.77.50. In feeder cattle, mixed trade today with the August up seven and a half cents at 152.82.50. September up 
up 20, excuse me, down 27 and a half to finish at 153.25. And strength in lean hogs with the August contract up 85 cents at 66.40. The October up a dollar 40 on the day to close at 53.92.50. And of course, a quick look at the dairy market in class three milk. The July contract down two cents at 14.18, while the August was unchanged on the day to close at 14.92. The year Columbus sailed the ocean blue, in fact. Before we get to our conversation with Ensense, let's get a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. With us again this week is Phil Long, the agronomic specialist at Latham High Tech Seeds. And Latham has folks with boots on the ground throughout the growing season, keeping track of what's going on in the crops and in the fields. And Phil, you've been out. What have you seen? What's jumping out at you this year? Yeah, it seems like there's not a lot of things overtaking crops yet, but we're right at that point where it's getting to the point, you know, we want to be considered a fungicide if that's the case. And one one disease that's been jumping out, it's a really distinctive one. For those that have seen it, it's called Physoderma brown spot. Uh, it shows up as a kind of a purple or kind of chocolate-colored brown spots right in the midriff of the leaf and even can show up on the stalk of the plant, uh, on the corn plant. So it's, it's a very diagnostic disease. Uh, a fungal disease that can be treated with a with a fungicide around our one time period. You just got to check and make sure that those labels are are labeled for physoderma brown spot. Make sure that you're you're diagnosing the disease correctly. It can be misdiagnosed. Uh, southern rust as well as eye spot can kind of look similar in terms of of leaf symptoms. Um, but 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 a fungicide and some good rotation and even maybe some tillage might be necessary to help help with control. All right, folks, keep all that in mind. And always remember, Latham High Tech Seeds has expertise across the Midwest. And to put that to work on your farm, give them a shout at 877-GO-LATHAM or visit the website at LathamSeeds.com. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about soil science with Dr. Laird. He is the co-founder and president of Ensense. So first off, Dr. Laird, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Sure, Hannah. It's my pleasure. Now, to start off, can you just give us maybe the big picture of what you and your teammates are doing with Ensense? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Ensense is a startup company, and uh, we're really at the very beginning trying to develop a soil nitrate sensor. I'm sure your readers are very much aware of the problem of nitrogen in soils. Less than 50% of the nitrogen fertilizer that farmers put on is actually used by the crops, and majority of it is ending up contaminating surface and groundwater. So we've got a huge economic loss for farmers and a huge environmental problem for society. And in sense, we believe that we have a piece of this solution, certainly not the solution, but a piece of it. And so we're trying to develop a in-situ soil nitrate sensor technology. This is a device that could be attached to a fertilizer applicator. And in real time, as the farmer is going through the field, it could measure the level of nitrate that is in the soil. And that information could be used to modulate 
the rate of fertilizer application, putting more fertilizer on where there isn't any in the soil and the crop is going to need it, and putting less on where the soil, soil already has plenty of nitrogen in it. And we believe so, that by doing this, by spatially modulating the fertilizer, we'll be able to significantly improve nitrogen use efficiency in crop production. Now, let's talk about the the technology itself, a nitrate measuring device that's moving through the field. How is that going to work? Is this a soil probe actually down in the soil? Are you using... Uh, infrared light to detect nitrogen levels in plants. What's that technology aspect of it look like? The technology is literally a steel shank that would be attached to your fertilizer applicator and that would be moving through the soil itself at a specific depth, probably about six inches. And it has an optical system and it looks at the soil and it interprets based on um, the infrared signature of the soil, the concentration of nitrate that's in the soil at that depth. Now, we see this technology. Nitrogen is a very complicated um, element. It, you know, it, 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 you can go through this really complex cycle where it's in the plant, it's in the soil organic matter, it exists in in various inorganic forms as nitrate, as ammonium, as nitrite, all these different forms, and microbes are constantly changing it. The nitrate is a form that is readily used by plants, and unfortunately, it is very mobile in the soil. So you might have plenty of nitrate in the soil in April, but if you get, you know, heavy rains, it can literally be flushed out of the soil before the crop has a chance to use it. So part of our strategy is that that our technology would be used with side dress application. So in the late spring, probably sometime in June, when the corn plant is maybe six inches tall in the the V6 growth stage, we want to come in and side dress, apply the supplemental nitrogen. So we figure a farmer's going to put on some nitrogen at planting, but the bulk of it at the side dress application. And that timing is very, very critical because by that point in the growing season, most of the weather factors that could flush nitrogen out of the soil have already occurred. And secondly, at that growth stage, the corn plant is ready to go into what's called rapid vegetative growth. That is, it's ready to sort of explode out of the ground. And once it does so, it's going to have roots that just totally fill the soil volume. And the soil will stop being leaky because the roots will be there to take up the nitrogen. So timing is very critical for a side dress application. And that window, uh, which is probably about two weeks in June, is the time when we think this technology can make a real difference. And it's based on um, the late spring nitrate test, which is um, a test that I think farmers or many farmers are familiar with. 
Uh, so it operates on the same principle as that, but the difference is that we are replacing in the late spring nitrate test, you have to go out there and hand sample, take your samples, send them off to a lab, you know, wait until you get the data back before you make a decision on where and how much nitrogen to put on. We're replacing that hand sampling and that wait time with instantaneous on-the-go soil nitrate sensing technology. So, Dr. Laird, you mentioned that nitrogen is a very complex subject, and from your website, it looks like you and your teammates have a lot of experience in soil science and agronomy. And so my question is, with all of the areas that you can go down in this field, what really made you start looking into this area? Um, well, there's two motivating things. One, uh, you know, I want to help farmers improve their bottom line. Two, I want to help the farmers and, and the people of Iowa and the people of the U.S. to improve water quality. That is to address the eutrophication problems that we have out there, uh, the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, and three, um, the technology and the timing is right. Um, I've been following this technology uh, development for decades. And um, until now, it has been essentially impossible to accomplish this. Uh, the, the sensing systems did not exist that could be field deployed and used to um, measure nitrate real time, on the go, uh, in a cornfield. There are sensors out there which can be stuck in the ground, um, but they're not mobile. So they're only measuring nitrate at one location. They won't give you the spatial variability of that nitrogen across the field. And therefore, they're not practical for management. And the other big competitor that we have is, is quite frankly, some of these big data modeling systems um, uh, that you know, some of the major uh, agriculture companies are are promoting these days, and and those are good systems, absolutely good systems. But I think we can add to them, or even you know, build on them by introducing another and very important data layer, which is the actual measurement of nitrogen in in soils. Absolutely, and Dr. Laird, you kind of outlined briefly the the movement of nitrogen, of course, through the soil profile. And so as I listen to you describe NSENSE, I can see its immediate value to me, the grower. I'm going to be metering out my 28 or 32% nitrogen solution at um, side dress. Of course, that, that could return some dollars in my pocket, either in saved fertilizer or in improved crop yields. But from an environmental standpoint, we're still not getting much data from that ammonia application in the fall or that first fertilizer application up through side dress. Is that is that correct? Well, there, if we look at best, yeah, that's basically correct. But, but if we look at best management practices today, um, it would be a split application. 
putting on maybe 50 pounds uh, at planting and then putting on the rest of your nitrogen uh, in that side dress. If you put it on in the fall, you know, if you have a dry winter and a dry spring, that nitrogen is still going to be in the soil and everything's going to be just fine. But if you have a wet spring, you could lose most of that fall applied nitrogen. And therein lies one of the really big problems. If you put all of your fertilizer, your nitrogen fertilizer down at pre-plant, that's certainly better than putting it down in the fall, but there's still a risk that you'll have heavy rains before that crop is big enough and has that integrated root system to capture and utilize that nitrogen. So there is, again, with a plant, at planting application, there is that increased risk of losing that nitrogen. Again, if it's a dry year, you're probably not going to lose it. But if it's a wet year, you are. So our technology is designed to really optimize both the timing and the spatial uh, distribution of the nitrogen. And the spatial is the part that's really been missing in nitrogen management up to now. Absolutely. And that kind of leads right to my follow-up question, which, as you mentioned, as we push towards best practices, the split application, spoon-feeding the nitrogen to the crop when it needs it, in your conversation with growers, do you think a tool like the one being developed by Ensense is what they need to perhaps feel more comfortable moving away from a heavy fall application or heavy pre-plant fertilizer application? Um I think it will give them a lot of confidence. We've done customer surveys. We've talked with farmers, and there are some who have tried the late spring nitrate test, but most farmers consider it to be, let's just say, interesting but not practical Mm -hmm. because of the time delay between sampling and getting the information back and because of the added labor that it takes to go out and collect all the soil samples that you need uh, to properly manage nitrogen using the late spring nitrate test. So our goal is to make it practical for farmers. Um, That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. And now I've got just one other question for you before we let you go. And You've been developing this technology. We're here. We're at this crossroads of of intersection between interest in nitrogen application and technology that allows us to check it. When do you think these soil probes might be able to be commercialized out in the fields of growers across the Midwest? Uh, thanks for that question. Yes, uh, we're not there yet, and and you know don't don't give me a call asking for one. We don't have it, and we're not ready. Yet, we are still developing the technology. Uh, we have the idea. Uh, we are working in the lab to try and get perfect the system to make it work right, to make it robust. And then we have to field test it. Uh, you know, farmers are not going to want to spend their money on this until we can prove unequivocally that it is reliable and accurate. So that's going to, I would hope to have our uh, first really good working prototype out um, this time next year, and we'll be testing it out in a field this time next year. Um, maybe the year after that, we can actually start selling early to you know early adopters. 
So it's going to take a couple years, but we're working that direction, and uh, we see this as, as a real opportunity for us as entrepreneurs and for farmers uh, and the people of Iowa uh, to improve nitrogen use efficiency, both for profitability and for environmental impact. Well, Dr. Laird, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And listeners, if you want to learn more about NSENSE, you can go to their website at n-sense.us. So again, thank you, Dr. Laird. And thank you, Hannah. Thank you very much. Well, Dr. Laird, thanks so much for taking the time. And Hannah, this is really cool, the way technology has just changed so much in a few years. It's fascinating. It definitely is, Mike. And, you know, it's it was really cool to just listen to Dr. Laird explain everything about nitrogen because it made me appreciate my three classes that I had to take at Iowa State for my agronomy part of my major. So I actually was, like, understanding. I'm like, yes, nitrogen is mobile. So I was following along. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, you took uh, you took agronomy classes. I didn't. So it's always good for me to learn from professors. It's like I get a college class free when That's we're right. uh, having these discussions. That's right. But, Hannah, if folks want to get more information, where should they go to learn more about Ag News Daily? Well, folks, the first place you can head to is our website, www.agnewsdaily.com. That is where you can find a plethora of all of our podcasts. And then if you want something a little bit more quick, a little bit more right to the point, you can go straight to our social media pages on Facebook or Twitter and just search Ag News Daily. And with that, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.